We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. It's good to see everyone here today. Thank you for coming. Those of you tuning in online and uh, live stream, uh, we pray that God would continue to bless you, everybody keeping safe and well. Um, I'm excited to be here tonight to start the Gospel of Mark. I'm going to play a little catch up to catch up with Tommy. And uh, so we'll go a little further, maybe uh, uh, in some of our uh, next few weeks to in the scripture to kind of uh, catch up to where he is at. Please continue to pray for him, for Teresa. They're, they're doing okay. And uh, it was good to see Kendall back this morning, wasn't it? I talked with him and uh, he had gone through a pretty tough time. He and his wife, Jamie. And how many of you just have somebody in your family that has the virus? Would you raise your hand? Yeah, right over here. We, we do, don't we? And, and there's, it's, it just seems like this second wave has really affected a lot of people. I'm grateful. I was just thinking over here a while ago and seeing a lot of you young adults, and I think about the little children. I'm grateful that many of you have uh, been blessed to not be able to get it and have strong immune systems. And uh, Do you all remember, some of you about my age, do you remember when we had immune systems and metabolism? Do you remember that? <laughs> it, it, it's been a while, uh, you know, for, for me, but... Uh, things change, but we're grateful for that and hope you stay well and stay safe and continue to pray for everyone around. Uh, we're in, a, in our country right now, regardless of what, what has happened the last few days and what side or each side or how many sides that you've been on, God's still on the throne just like he was, amen? He's still in control and it's just a, it's just a call for us as the church to be the church, to be the church. And I've just got a renewed sense inside of my heart and uh, to, to say, Lord, uh, show us how. Show us, uh, give us boldness. Give us courage to stand strong on right and wrong. Mankind divides over all kinds of things and that's a, a message for another day. We divide over preferences. We divide over uh, traditions. We divide over man's thoughts. The only divisions uh, we divide over the way God made us. Do you realize that we're not all the same? God made us different. And we should never divide over the differences God makes. Some of us are tall. Some of us are, are uh, vertically challenged. Isn't that a good uh, politically correct way to say it nowadays? Uh, some of us have dark hair, light hair, uh, male and female. Those are things God made. The race that we have, the color of our skin, that's all God made. We should never divide over those things. We should let the Holy Spirit make the true division there is. And the division there is, is not political and it's not socioeconomical, whether somebody has money or they don't. It's not education, how much money they have. The difference and the division that there really is and that you and I need to be a part of is believers in Jesus Christ yielded to him, trusting God's word to make us like Jesus and those that don't. And that involves morality. It involves what is right and wrong, uh, life and it involves everything that God says is good. And so let the Holy Spirit divide us. That's the only division we need to be concerned about. And otherwise, let's be the church. We have an opportunity right now to be purged, to be encouraged, to have a platform to share Christ, not for any earthly reason, but because of who he is. And the church has always thrived in uh, uncertain times. So I just want to encourage you that. The book of Mark is actually that. I can't help but smile when I think about Mark because I think of him as a young person that just can't wait to come and tell something they know. Now, what's Israel been waiting on for 400 years? They've been waiting on it for a lot longer than that, but God's been silent 
for four or 500 years and not spoken to a prophet. And so Israel is waiting for this one talking about in Isaiah that's gonna come and be able to heal the lame and the blind and the sick and raise the dead. And so a Jew, if you're a good Jew, you, you're looking forward to that. Every Passover, you're remembering what God has already done and you're looking forward. When's the Redeemer coming? When is Messiah coming? Well, Mark is like a young person that can't wait, got a secret, and he can't wait to come and tell it. In fact, in the book of Mark, we're gonna see 40 different, uh, 47 different times he uses a word immediately. Different translations might have it a little different, but immediately. And it's just like he's telling, and then, and this, and immediately this happened, and then this happened, and this. When was the last time you had a secret and you just couldn't wait to tell someone? I thought about my son little uh, when he was little. He's grown now, but uh, a cute time that we had. It doesn't snow very often here in Texas, but when it does, you can go out and play in it a little bit. And we made a snowman when he was just a little boy. We had so much fun and took pictures of it. And it's just one of those sweet times because we don't get that opportunity very much here in Texas. The next day, my son came running into me. He's just a little guy. And he said, Dad, Dad, someone stole our, our snowman. <laughs> I had to explain to him about temperature and the, the freezing point of moisture. And, but he just couldn't wait to come and tell me that because he thought someone had taken our stole, snowman away and stolen. He didn't understand melting. Well, Mark is an exciting book. Probably the first gospel written, most people think that it was, a lot of Matthew and Mark probably taking from the memories that are given and recorded down. And that's why I believe as Jared read to us in the first part of this, verse one, it said, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. Now Mark's gonna start right there like the Bible started, in the beginning, but he didn't stay there. He takes off. And so as we study the book of Mark, would you have that kind of in your mind, in your heart, that this is an excited observer and he cannot wait to tell you he's here. The one we've been waiting on, he's here. I wonder what Mary Magdalene felt like when Jesus showed himself to her after the resurrection and, and Jesus said, go tell Peter and the rest of the disciples. Do you think that she ran? Oh, I'll bet she did. She couldn't wait to get there and say, he's alive. So, Walk with me through some of this. Let me give you a little bit of background. You probably remember this. Tommy did such a great job in the early morning services. Uh, this is probably even John Mark that we read about in the scripture. Most everybody believes that that is uh, back throughout church history. It's probably received from Peter as Peter uh, went around preaching the gospel. Mark was a disciple of his that listened to him and he's recording a lot of the things probably that he heard from Peter on how things happened. John Mark was around with, and we'll see, he was uh, uh, in the book of Acts, the 12th chapter and the 12th verse, we find out that John Mark's house, where his, mom, her, her, his mom's house, was open to the disciples. And it was a place where they would go often. So it was kind of a gathering place for believers. Mark was with Paul and Barnabas, as you know. We study that pretty often in Acts chapter 12 when they were headed off to Antioch on the first missionary journey. He helped there, uh, but then if you remember, he left them and went home. We don't know what all happened. Barnabas, who is a cousin to Mark, Barnabas and, and Paul had that dispute and that disagreement. 
And uh, Barnabas said, I want to take John Mark with us. And Paul said, no, you're not. And then he said, yes, I am. And no, you're not. And finally, they, just, they, they separated. They went one way. And people, theologians throughout the years have decided and they have uh, looked at that and thought, well, who was in the right? Who was in the wrong? I personally believe they were both in the right. John Mark's the only one that had messed up and he needed help. Sometimes in our lives, we need a Barnabas, don't we? We need that one that puts our arm around us and takes us for a little while and restores us and gets us built back up and encouraged. Some of you are Barnabases to other people. I don't know what you call a female Barnabas. What do you think, Cheryl? Uh, Barnabet or something? I don't know what you... Anyway, some of you are like Barnabas, sons and daughters of encouragement. Do you need that in your life? I have. But we also need Paul. We need a Paul that is... Uh, firmly standing on God's word, draws a line on the ground, not here, not now. We need that older man or woman in the faith that says, you must, there's no question, there's no option, you must follow God. I'll help you, but it's gotta be done the way God's word says. So we need both of those, and I believe they were both in the right there. We find out later in the scripture in Colossians 4, Philippians uh, and uh, Philemon and in 2 Timothy that John Mark was restored and Paul writes back and said, oh, be sure and bring John Mark with me, with you. He is faithful, he is uh, valuable to me in the ministry. So it's a beautiful picture of restoration of one who had done something wrong. Probably written in the early 50s, AD 50s, or early, I mean the 50s or the early 60s. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew is a Jew writing to Jews. Mark is a Jew writing to Gentiles. Luke is a Gentile writing to Gentiles. John's written to everybody. Uh, they have different focuses, different themes throughout the Gospels. But Mark probably being the first one that was written down, written to Gentiles. And one of the ways that we, we know that that is is because when he comes to a Jewish custom, he explains it. Now John, the Gospel of John, probably the last written down of the Gospels, he, he doesn't introduce Peter to you. He just assumes you know him. He doesn't introduce a lot of people to you. He doesn't tell you about Lazarus so much beforehand. He just assumes you know him because you've read it already in one of the other gospels or it's been orally given and many people know that. But Mark is different. When he comes to a uh, Jewish custom, he stops and he explains it. He translates Aramaic words. Uh, Jesus probably spoke much of his time in Aramaic to, to the disciples. And Mark gives definition to those words. So he's writing to people that would be unfamiliar with those things. And he also speaks much of persecution because probably written in Rome, uh, Roman believers right now are very well acquainted with persecution. So it resonated with them. Also, it was written at the time when Rome had built streets, or Roman roads, if you remember, that had communication, and God just had this uh, happen in the season where this Word of God could be written and could be spread easily with letters. Uh, Mark speaks of the humanity of Jesus as well as the deity. And as I mentioned to you, he uses the word immediately 47 times in this gospel. And I, I just can't help but think he's so excited. Can't hold it in. Let's take off. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. One fact is that there cannot be a Messiah unless there is a forerunner. 
God had said before the Lord comes, the Messiah comes, there'll be a voice crying in the wilderness. There's going to be one. Malachi, he says, he's going to have the spirit of Elijah. It's interesting. We see how uh, John the Baptist is dressed and what he eats in a few minutes is very similar to Elijah, isn't it? There had to be, if there's going to be a Messiah, there's got to be the one who is going to come ahead of him. And so that's where Mark starts. He doesn't start back in eternity like the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word. He doesn't start with the genealogies of Jesus or the birth of Jesus, Luke and Matthew. He starts the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. It's prophesied there's going to be one who's going to come. And that, behold, I send my messenger, Malachi 3, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight, Isaiah 40. That would probably be familiar to people living in Rome because when a Roman official would come to a city, he would send what's called a herald ahead of him. You remember in uh, English history, history, we hear of someone going, ringing a bell and saying, hear ye, hear ye. Going to make a proclamation or going to say, someone is coming, make ready. And that's the idea here that God is saying, there's going to be a forerunner. There's going to be someone come that's going to prepare the way for the Messiah. Now, remember, it's been over 400 years, between four and 500 years since they've heard from God. God spoke through prophets for centuries, but now they haven't heard from God and they're waiting. Can you imagine the prayers that have been prayed? Can you imagine the thoughts that have been thought? Lord, when will it ever be? Do you see us? Do you know us? Have you forgotten us? probably just like you and I would think. But in verse four, it says John the Baptist, and that doesn't mean that he was a member of that denomination. That meant that he was a baptizer. Now to baptize was not something unusual, except for the fact that in the Old Testament, the time that we're seeing right here, a Jew would baptize a Gentile if they wanted to become a Jew. So baptism was known Except when John, when Mark, uh, John the Baptist came preaching, Mark tells us, he said he is preaching a baptism under repentance. And he's also doing something that is audacious to a Jew. He's saying, you Gentiles need to repent, come be baptized, but you Jews do too. And that took them back. What do you mean? We are God's chosen people. We don't need to repent. And John says, yes, you do. I love the different groups that come to meet John at his baptism. The soldiers come. What do we do? Don't do violence to any man. Uh, he, the different groups, what do we do? And he would tell them, you need to be baptized for the remission of sins. Baptism doesn't wipe away your sins. It's a symbol of what God can do in forgiving us. So he said, John the Baptist appeared. It doesn't say he appeared in the synagogue. He appeared in the wilderness preaching. Preaching is different than teaching. Preaching is proclaiming God's word. And in the preached message, there is a call to arms. Uh, I could teach a lesson here tonight. That's a different gift. And a lot of times teaching a lesson has knowledge dispensed. It has clear ideas and thoughts. It is something we can follow. We can take down notes and we can write. But when the word of God is preached, that's a different gift. There is a message that is relevant to the audience where it is preached. Acts chapter two, Peter preached the first message there to the new church. Men and brethren, what you have seen, all these people, 
This is what was recorded back in the, in the, uh, the book of Joel. It's coming to pass right now in front of your eyes. But at the end of that message, you remember what it was? Repent. There is a call to arms. There's a heavy application in preaching. That's why I always say I'll stay here and talk with the whole group if anybody ever wants to talk about anything before you leave because I do not walk in the pulpit without expectation that God's going to do something in my life first because, you know, I have to ask him first to work in my life before I can ask him to work in your life. Would you agree that that's what a preacher ought to do? I prayed right over there a moment ago and I prayed for 40 years before I've walked up into a pulpit. Empty me. Because I know if I'm full of things, I'm full of things that's probably not good if it's up to me. Empty me and fill me with your spirit because the preached word can do a, do a work. Taught word can do a wonderful work. Two different gifts. He came preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness, what do you mean? A Jew would not have known what he was talking about or not th thought they didn't need it. And verse five, who brings people to church? You ever thought about that? Let me say real quickly, people that come to church because of people will leave church because of people. If they just come to a church because somebody invited them in their relationship, they also could be offended by someone in that relationship and they could leave a church. The people that come to church because the Holy Spirit draws them and puts them here, you can't hardly get them to leave their church. They're the ones supporting, they're the ones praying, they're the ones the ones. That, that are really the church. And I believe right now in the season we're in in our country, around the world, uh, God's just gonna make it clear where his church really is. He's gonna make it clear. And so hold fast, stand firm. He came preaching a baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins and all the country of Judea were going out to him. I'm so thankful for you that are here in person. I'm thankful for you that are listening. We're in an unusual time where we can't get together. I tell everybody when I send out emails, let's meet mask to mask, face to face, or Zoom to Zoom, however we need to. Uh, but I long for the time where we can all fill this house up and we can all be back together again. Little children, uh, and I want to remind you again, we do have child care. You have to sign up early in the week for that, for that but please do. He has all, it says all the country of Judea was going out to him, all the people of Jerusalem, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. God was causing something to happen. There was a buzz. The whole countryside's going out there to this guy in the Jordan River. Now, John was not your typical preacher. <laughs> he didn't have the hair. When I was growing up and I went to college, uh, it was a Christian college that I went to, secondly, and uh, they talked about, well, you're going to be an evangelist or a pastor. You have to have the hair for it. And I thought, what are they talking? Well, they were talking about televangelists on television, you know, because they, and I said, well, I'm out of it then. I'm not going to have the hair for it. Uh, I used to have a lot more hair, but John the Baptist didn't fit the stereotypical uh, type that a preacher would normally be. It says that he was, John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt. He was clothed with things that came from animals. Uh, when did that first enter the world? Did you know? When did wearing animal skins first enter the world? Adam and Eve. You remember all the way back there? When they had sinned, they, they found out because of their sin that they were naked, they were shamed, and God killed animals to take skins to clothe them. 
so when people get all upset about having leather shoes on, just hold fast to what the Bible says. John was clothed with camel's hair. He wore a leather belt around his waist. His diet was locusts and wild honey. Does not that make you hungry? Can you not wait to get out right now and just go find you some chocolate-covered locusts? That's like a grasshopper for us guys. Uh, locusts and wild honey. He was not your typical. He was not politically correct. He was not the person in the three-piece suit that would be in the synagogue and be readily recognized. He didn't look like us, the people of the day would probably say. Didn't act like us. And yet he was the chosen one that God said would be the forerunner. Look what he said though about this one to come, verse seven. He was preaching and saying, after me, one is coming who is mightier than I. That's one of the key things about anybody that says they're ever gonna be a preacher. It better be that one of the first things you say in your message is it's about Jesus, pointing people to Jesus, not pointing them to yourself, to your church, your denomination or whatever. And he did it instantly. There's one coming after me. Don't you be looking at me. Don't think that I'm the one. I'm not that prophet. Don't think anything about me. I want to point you to one who's coming. He's better. He's greater. He's higher. And he says, there's one coming after me who's mightier than I. I'm not to fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I am not worthy to untie or tie his shoes. One of the biggest temptations we have in our lives is pride. Would you agree? It, pride comes in all different kind of packages. But whenever we think too much of ourselves. That means we think too little of God. We need to make it about God. Uh, one person said, that means that I need to think less of myself. And one man said, no, I need to think nothing to myself. I need to think everything pointing toward God. Not fit to stoop down and untie his thongs. I baptize you with water, a symbol, an outward symbol. And I want to tell you this, that there's some denominations that talk to you about water baptism and that is salvation to them. John is showing us right here. I'm baptizing you with an outward expression. It's just like Jesus was alive. He was buried in the grave and he goes down in the water, completely immersed and covered, becomes one with that. But he didn't stay in the grave. Jesus came up, up out of the grave. We are raised to walk in newness of life. That is our life, crucified with Christ, dead and buried. We're raised to walk in newness of life. Water baptism is a symbol. It is a picture of an inward spiritual experience. Paul is, uh, uh, John is saying this right here. I'm baptizing you with water and you can get wet 500 times and still be a lost person. But there's one coming after me. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And when you're baptized by the Holy Spirit, that's the inward work that God does of the outward work of the, the picture of water baptism. He is unconventional. Think about this. He didn't look like him. He was not in the same place that other people would be, not in the synagogue. He's talking about baptism that a Jew would think that's only for Gentiles. What are we doing this? He's talking about forgiveness. Well, Jews needed forgiving too, but they didn't act like they did. They didn't think they did. He's in animal skins. He ate food that was not something that you and I, now some of you, God bless you, Pastor Mel knows about it. James knows about it. In other countries, do they feed you some food that's a little different than we get here? Uh, what is it, a, a missionary's motto, uh, what they serve, uh, what they serve, I will swallow. What it, oh, where you, where you lead me, I will follow, and what they serve, I will swallow. Uh, I'm not a missionary. I honor these people that are. 
but he ate food that we didn't eat, they didn't eat. Uh, and you remember Jesus later on would say, you guys were willing for a while to rejoice in the light of John the Baptist. The whole town came out to him for a little while. Jesus said, you were willing for a while to rejoice in that, but it was just for a little while. They found out what he really preached. Many didn't last. It's interesting, where was he baptizing? In the Jordan River. Jordan means the river of judgment. Isn't that fascinating? He is baptizing in a river called judgment for the forgiveness of sins because Jesus was gonna come take our judgment away from us. That's amazing to me. God is so perfect in everything he does. Even the name of the river is, is screaming out, we need help. And the Messiah that John was pointing everybody to was gonna come deal with that judgment. In fact, he would take it on himself so you and I wouldn't have to. Um, the message was always somebody's coming, bigger, better, stronger, mightier than I am. There's somebody coming that's better. Don't listen to me, you listen to him. In verse nine, in those days, uh, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. We don't read this here. Mark didn't, didn't feel the need to record that, but we know that when John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said, you need to be baptizing me. And by the way, if it's a baptism under the forgiveness of sins and repentance, why did Jesus do it? Did he need to repent? Did he need forgiveness? Absolutely not. You know why he did that? So the scripture would be fulfilled and he did it for you and me to set an example for us that you and I would need forgiveness and repentance. And so he says here, he came to be baptized by John in the Jordan. Immediately, if you write down notes, that's number one. And hold on, because we're gonna see a bunch of them. Immediately, coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening. And I can just hear Mark's voice getting higher and more energy in it. He's excited to tell this story. And the spirit like a dove, uh, have you always thought that a real dove uh, landed on Jesus? It just says like a dove. The spirit was recognizable that came upon, descending upon him. And a voice came out of the heavens. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. What do we see right there? We see the Trinity. We see Jesus who's the word of God. We see the spirit descending upon him and remaining as another place in the scripture it says. The Old Testament, the spirit would come upon people and be removed. But the one who this would come on and remain, John says, that's the one God told me to look for. And then we hear the Father saying, you are my beloved Son. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That's the first immediate, the baptism of Jesus. He's excited to tell everybody. Verse 12, immediately, there's number two. He's getting excited. I don't know if he had to, I don't know if they had medicine to control your, your, your uh, emotions back then or not, but he's getting all worked up here. The spirit impelled him, led Jesus to go out into the wilderness. Think about that. Immediately after his baptism, God sent his son out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil for 40 days. I did something with, uh, with the Johnsons right up here a few moments before the service started. I found a cassette tape. A cassette tape, guys, is something about this size. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. 
Isn't it funny all the different things that we have technology-wise? But I found a cassette tape because my mother was one who would record the services when I was a little boy and then take them to the shut-ins. I found a cassette tape from 1971, still played, and yes, I do have a cassette player. Got an eight track too. But, and I played them, I recorded on my phone the day I was baptized. And the preacher speaking, would Mike Spencer please come forward? And it was the day, I'd already trusted Christ three years earlier, but in the church I was in, they wouldn't baptize you until you were 11. And from 1971, until the other day, I had not heard those words. Isn't that amazing? I pulled it out, plugged it in, recorded on my phone, and I have, the day I was baptized, 50, almost, yeah, years ago. I want to tell you something. Right after I was baptized, I was not sent to the wilderness to be tempted 40 days by the devil. I wouldn't have made it. I would have died. I guarantee I couldn't have taken it. But Jesus was. He says 40 days. He was in the wilderness 40 days. Did you know that a human body can only last 42 days without food? It can last uh, three days without water. We can last eight minutes without air. So Jesus went to the very brink of a human body not being able to live in denying himself food. He went 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild beasts. Isn't that interesting? Uh, I think this is, again, Mark wants to be clear. He wants to draw you a picture. I don't think about that a lot of times. I just think he's out there and the devil, you know, I saw the movie, so I know what it looks like and everything. He's out there with wild beasts in the wilderness too. And it says angels were ministering to him. Now, whatever they were doing to help him, they might've been keeping some of those beasts away, you think? How many times in your life has God spared you by sending an angel? You were gonna have an automobile wreck and God just let an angel push it out of the way. How many times were we gonna eat something or drink something that could have hurt, hurt us? God sent an angel to protect us. How many times? Well, we won't know till we get to heaven, will we? But I believe that God does. The angel of the Lord encamps around about them that fear him to deliver them. And I believe angels are very mighty and at work in our lives. So the angels are ministered to him. There's the lions and whatever kind of beasts there were, a whole lot more of those days than there are in Israel today. And the first place Jesus was sent after his baptism was to the wilderness. Spiritual battles often take place when our physical body's suffering. That's why we need to be careful. I had a friend this morning and they had to unplug his mom from the machines that were keeping her alive. It's a sad time. And I prayed with them and encouraged them. And I, uh, God put something, I believe, on my heart that I just texted. It came to my heart and my mind. It's hard here to say goodbye, but it's easy to say hello up there. It's hard to say goodbye here, but it's easy to say hello where she was headed. It's hard sometimes when we are physically hurting to not be tempted a lot in spiritual things. Be ready for that. Have you ever heard the word halt with temptation? A lot of temptation happens when we're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. Those are other things we go through as humans. And I can relate to that. When I'm hungry, whew, when I'm angry, sometimes I think that the enemy, all he'd have to do is get us mad, and us, especially us men, we do something we shouldn't. Lonely. 
Everybody else has got friends. Everybody else has got a girlfriend, boyfriend. Everybody else has got relationships and I don't. Lonely, temptation comes. And then tired. Sometimes we've got to realize when we are worn down, be careful, temptation can come. Look at verse 14. We've seen uh, the forerunner. We've seen Jesus' baptism. We've seen the wilderness temptation. And now we see verse 14, the arrest of John. Now, after John had been taken into custody, that's all Mark gives us. That's all he says. He doesn't tell us, as another gospel does, that John the Baptist stood against a political leader of his day and said, you're living in adultery. You have a wife that's another man's wife and you're in sin. That man put him in jail. A little girl danced before Herod and said, what would you like? I'll give you half the kingdom. The little girl turned to her mama and said, what should I ask for? And the little girl came back to Herod and said, I want John the Baptist's head on a platter. Now, how did that little girl get that depraved? How did she get that sick that she would literally want a person to be beheaded She would want his head given to her from her mama, from her mama. She'd been taught that. That's why society, it's so important. I should not ever, ever be too harsh on the generation following me because guess who raised them? We did. We did. Here it says that John had been taken into custody. He's arrested. Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God. And saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, if you were a Jew in that time and you hear another Jew saying, hey, time's up, I'm here. It would be a message like nothing else. You could go to the synagogue and they'd open up that scroll and they would read out of the Old Testament and they'd wonder when it would happen. When Jesus went to his home synagogue and opened up, he read out of Isaiah 11 and he said, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me to anoint the blind eyes that they see and to to the lame that they walk. He rolled the scroll up. And you remember what the Bible says he did after that? He said, today, these words are fulfilled in your ears. You're talking about preaching now. He said, the one that that's written about that's been in there for millennia, I'm the one. And everybody had to make a decision. So he went preaching, (coughs) excuse me, the gospel of God. And he said, this is the time. It's fulfilled. The kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe the gospel. The gospel, the good news that he's preaching, that that there is salvation, that God is going to make a way. The proto-evangelion is is where God's plan started before the foundation of the world, but he revealed it in the word in Genesis 3.15. He started talking about Jesus coming to save us all the way back at the first of the Bible. Satan's going to bruise his heel, but there's going to be one, the seed of woman that's going to bruise his head. I just can't help but think Mark is saying, God's the one we've been waiting on. He's here. And he'll be able to do things no other man could ever do. He'll speak like no one's ever spoken before. He'll have a miraculous birth born of the virgin. We've got to find out about this guy. Does he fit all that criteria? How many different prophecies was, were there about the Messiah to come? Hundreds. Jesus fulfilled them all. I think there's 95 uh, really uh, clear ones that, probably more than that, prophecies of the Messiah that would be unique from anyone else. 
So he began preaching the good news, repent and believe, just like John did. Verse 16, he was going along by the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I'll make you to become fishers of men. Here we see the call of the disciples. We've seen the forerunner, Jesus' baptism. We've seen the arrest of John, the, the temptation in the wilderness, arrest of John, the call of the disciples. You know, the word used there is called. That's kind of overused sometimes in church. But don't let that be cliche to you. Are you called to this? Yeah, I knew a guy said, you need to go on a mission trip. Well, I'm called to Hawaii. You know, how convenient that was for you. Uh, a lot of times, well, I'm called to do this. And really what we are saying is we've decided to do that. But don't, don't, don't underestimate and don't minimize the call of God. Because what, what God has called you to do, he has ordained you to do it. He equipped you to do it. He intends for you to do it, and that's the only place for you to be. So he starts calling his apostles. And you would think that he would probably go to the synagogue. He would go to the, uh, the educated people of the day. I've got to get some of the elite. And he goes to the Sea of Galilee, and there's brothers out there fishing. And he says, you come go with me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And immediately, it's number three, they left their nets and followed him. Now, why would, would Peter and Andrew leave their nets? That's their livelihood. The only way really they would leave their nets is that they believe something's more powerful and better in the words of this man, come and follow me. He goes a little further. He's got two fishermen. Probably he's gonna get two carpenters now. You think? No, he's not, do it. He's not through with the fishermen. He said, they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat mending the nets. There's another group of brothers that are fishermen. Don't forget what we talked about one time a while back. They were mending their nets. How important was it to mend your net to be ready to go out fishing again? We in the church right now are in a season of mending our nets. Some of the, the ministry that we've done before in the church, we can't do now because we cannot be together, but we can mend our nets. And these good fishermen mended their nets to be ready when they could go out fishing again. Two more group, two, uh, another group of two guys, they were the sons of De Zebedee, the sons of thunder. They were mending, mending their nets and immediately, number four, he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat and with the hired servants and went away to follow him. There must have been something about this man, Jesus, because these guys are leaving everything. Jumped out of the boat, said, we're going with you. I want you to notice also, they're, they're on the Sea of Galilee. It's been called the Lake of Gennesaret. It's by the city of Tiberias that's still there today. The Sea of Galilee is about 14 miles long, about six miles wide. It's a, a huge lake, uh, what we would call that. Beautiful place. I've got pictures of sitting there. I wanted to get up early when I was there uh, staying in Tiberias one time and I, I wanted to get up and I did my, my quiet times with my Bible just on the, the side of the seashore of the Sea of Galilee and I, I saw as the sun came up over the mountains on one side and I thought, Jesus, and I wrote a journal during that, that time I was there as though I was writing to Jesus and I wrote, Jesus, how many times have you sat here and seen the sun come up over that same place? Fascinating, a beautiful time. But it says here, uh, Jesus was with the disciples. Sometimes we get the impression Jesus was 
too, too cool for school. <laughs> he was too good. He was aloof. You know, real important people, you can't go see them, right? You can see their people. Uh, my people will talk to your people because we're too important to talk to everybody. You know that kind of thing. I wrote a, a, a paper in seminary one time and I, it, was, uh, it was over connecting leadership and laity in the church that there should be a connection between the leaders of a church and the members of the church. There shouldn't be a division. The leaders aren't the elite. They're not better than everybody else. And I, I'd read one of the books by Dr. Lynn Anderson, Shepherds Smell Like Sheep. Now, how would they smell like sheep? Had to be with the sheep, right? My professor told me half of the faculty didn't like my paper because they had the, the impression that leaders need to be aloof. They need to approach to us. We need to be a strong leader. And we, if we were among the people all the time, that would be not, I, I disagree. Because Jesus is the perfect leader. He's the greatest the best teacher there ever was. No one ever spoke like this man. And Jesus was among his people. He spoke their language. He ate with them. He laughed with them. He cried with them. He did life together with them. And so I believe that's what we're seeing here. The call of the disciples, we've got fishermen. Later in the scripture that says these were ignorant. Now, that just means they're not educated. It doesn't mean, you know, what you called your brother when you're growing up. You little ignorant person. It means they don't, they don't know, they don't have the knowledge. They were ignorant and unlearned men. And yet God turned the world upside down through them. Isn't that interesting? Uh, they left their fathers, they left their occupations, and they went and followed this one. There was something different about this one named Jesus. So that's the call of the disciples. And Mark's telling the story. And he jumps to the next thing. I want to tell you about, and he's going to have another immediately coming up here in a moment because this guy's different. He's not only preaching uh, the gospel that the forerunner came and prepared the way, and now he's doing that. He's been out in the wilderness, tempted. He defeated Satan, holding fast to the word of God. But now, you remember the Messiah was supposed to be able to do miracles? Let me tell you what happens next. I could just see Mark so excited. Verse 21, they went into Capernaum. And immediately, number five, on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and began to teach. They were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Jesus, have you ever thought about that? When he taught or he preached, he didn't say, you know, it might have been. Everything I've said to you here tonight, I've given some speculation, some of my thoughts. It might not be that way. I can be wrong. But imagine when Jesus preached, he didn't have to say, someone said, I think it's in the Bible somewhere. He spoke with authority because he was the word of God. And it says, they were amazed at his teaching for his teaching won't have an authority. Just then there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit. You mean an unclean spirit? Satan could be in a synagogue? Absolutely. Where are the ministers of uh, the enemy that want to appear like ministers of righteousness? Where were they found? In the church. In the church. We've got to be careful. The whole book of Jude's talking about that. Certain ones have crept in unaware. So we've got to be careful. This man had a demon, unclean spirit. And he, the demon, cried out and saying, What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? Now that happened several times. Most holy one, have you come to destroy us before the time? The demons know, James says, who Jesus was, and they tremble. 
And notice it's not a tug of war. Some people act like it's a tug of war between Jesus and the devil. Jesus gets a little bit and then the devil gets a little bit. The devil cannot do anything God does not give him permission to do. Uh, the devil is, is not omnipresent. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. The devil is not. So the next time you say, well, the devil's tempting me. Really? You got the big guy, huh? Instead of one of his little minions. The devil is not omniscient. He can't see everything. God is omniscient. He sees everything. The devil is not omnipotent. God is omnipotent. He's all powerful. And the devil can only do what God allows him to do. But here, the demons cry out and say, what are you here for? Have you come to destroy us? Is it time? They recognized who the son of God was. And notice what Jesus did. They said, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him saying, be quiet and come out of him. You want a real good thought to think on this week? If you want to know right and wrong and whose side someone might be on, find out who their enemies are. Find out who their enemies are. Because when you find out who enemies are, you can find out a lot about that person. Does that make sense? Who do our enemies the enemies of the United States, who do they want to be in leadership? You ever thought about that? I'll leave that right there. Uh, what business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus rebuked him saying, be quiet and come out of him. That's two different things right there. In the Gospel of John, we see it over and over again. My time is not yet. My time is not yet. If you've watched uh, Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, you, you, you remember Aslan. Until he was ready, he was the king. But he lowered the shield and he let himself be sacrificed. And that's what Jesus did. They couldn't touch Jesus until he lowered the shield and he let himself be taken. Pontius Pilate, no one takes my life away from me. I willingly lay it down. They couldn't touch him until Jesus let them. And here he said, be quiet and come out of him. It's not time for for everyone to know yet. Throwing him into convulsions, the unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice and came out of him. Always remember the enemy has to do what Jesus says. There's no, there's no ifs, ands, or anything else about it. G- Jesus, the creator, is the king. And when the king says something's going to happen, the enemy has to obey. They were all amazed so that they, they debated among themselves saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him immediately. Number six, immediately the news about him spread everywhere into all the surrounding district of Galilee. Now remember Capernaum was kind of like a home base. It was where Peter's house was. It was a place for Jesus and his apostles to go. Uh, The synagogue is like a church today. In the Old Testament, starting with Ezra's time, there always weren't synagogues started about Ezra's time in the Old Testament. And if you had 10 families, 10 men, Jewish men that agreed to meet together, you could start a synagogue. And uh, that's why that many in this period of time met in synagogues like churches we have today. Verse 29, and immediately, that's the seventh one, after they came out of the synagogue, they came into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever. And immediately, eighth time, they spoke to Jesus about her. He came to her, raised her up, taking her by the hand and the fever left her and she waited on them. Mark is so masterful in the way the Holy Spirit's writing this. He gives a blurb 
about a giant miracle and it makes us want to say, no, wait, wait a minute, stop. Tell us a little bit more about that. What happened in the wilderness? Could you, could you, no, he's already on to the next thing. Uh, this lady was sick and Jesus did heal her. Would you tell us a little bit more? No, he's already on the next thing. There was a, a, a man with unclean spirit. Yeah, Jesus cast him out. And, and then he goes to something else. The other gospels go into detail and describe those things. But Mark is wanting to get the message out. The Holy Spirit writing through him. There's an urgency in this book. That's one of the reasons why I love it. Jesus just raised her. Her fever left her. She waited on them. That's interesting. When God does a work in your life, he intends for us to now turn and serve. Verse 32, when evening came after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon possessed. Why? Because the Messiah to come was gonna be able to do miracles that no one else had ever done before. What did Nicodemus tell Jesus? We know you're from God because no man can do the miracles you do except he comes from God. The Messiah was gonna be able to do these things like no one else has. And now Mark is saying, he's doing it. He's doing what the scripture said the Messiah was gonna do. They brought all the people to him that were demon-possessed and those that were ill. Those are two different things. People that talk to you about sickness, being from the devil all the time, that's not biblically correct. Verse 33, the whole city had gathered at the door. He healed many who were ill with various diseases, cast out many demons, and he was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. There's just a headline Mark gives of an amazing event, but he just gives a little sound bite. That's all there is. It's interesting the next portion, and we're almost through, the next portion, Jesus gets alone. He gets alone. Early In the early morning, while it's still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went away to a secluded place, and was praying there. Do you think if Jesus did that, if he needed time alone to be with God, his Father, and to pray, that we need that also? I was praying early, early this morning for, for all of you guys and for all the people of the church and praying about a lot of different things. If you don't do that, set aside a time in your day to be with God only in his word and prayer. And not just talking to him, but listening. Here Jesus got alone and uh, Simon and his companion searched for him. They found him, said to him, everyone's looking for you. He said to them, let's go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I might preach there also, for that is what I came for. And he went into their synagogues who had all Galilee preaching, casting out demons. And then the last of this chapter is interesting. There's a leper. Now, there was no cure for leprosy, none. The only way somebody could be cured for leprosy was a miracle from God. And a leper came to Jesus beseeching him and falling on his knees before him and saying, if you are willing, you can make me clean. That's a pretty powerful message of faith. I know that if you will, you can make me clean. I believe you have that power. I don't know if you will or not, but if you would. Jesus, verse 41, moved with compassion. And aren't you glad we have a Savior that is moved with compassion? He loves us. He loves you. Moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Did you catch that? He touched who? A leper. Want to know the quickest way to get, a, to get leprosy? Touch a leper. Jesus didn't have a mask on. Wear a mask. I've got one in my pocket. I'm going to wear one when I leave here in just a minute. I'm not talking about. But you see, the clean, the master 
the great physician could even touch the unclean and make them well. You and I can't do that. If I walk out of here and say, I'm just going to, I'm not going to wear a mask. I'm not going to, I'm going to go kiss everybody I can find that'll let me kiss them. And I just don't care what they have. I'm probably going to get sick because that'd be tempting the Lord, wouldn't it? We're not supposed to tempt the Lord. Some of my buddies back there saying, you're safe. Nobody lets you kiss them anyway. So immediately, verse 42, the leprosy left him. Oh, men, women. Mark's so excited. He's here. The one who could do what no one else has ever been able to do, he's here. The one we've been waiting on. Our parents told us about, our grandparents told us about. The one that the scriptures have told us is coming someday, he's here. He sternly warned him and immediately sent him away. Immediately, that's number 10. He sent him to, sent to him. See that you say nothing to anyone but go show yourself to the priest, offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely to spread the news around. This leper disobeyed Jesus to such extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city but stayed out in unpopulated areas and they were coming to him from everywhere. Come back next week and see Mark If you think he's excited in the first chapter, you just wait till what happens. He can't wait. And the message of Mark is simply this. World, he's here. Long time ago, Mark, would you come with your team, please, and lead us? Entertainers get popular sometime. And one of the popular things from Elvis Presley, we got any Elvis impersonators here? Y'all probably can sing just like him, can't you? But what did they say after the concert was over and they're all screaming and yelling and clapping and hoping he'll come back and do an encore? He probably does 14 encores. I don't know. I never saw him in person. But what did they finally say over the loudspeaker at the end of the concert? Elvis has left the building. In other words, get out of here. We have such a fascination with celebrities sometime today. And if one was to walk in the door, it would be exciting to say, he's here. Oh, how much more, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus. He's here. And if you don't know him, you can know him tonight. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for, for Mark. Oh, for using him to write this down for us and help us just catch the excitement. Bring more people here next Sunday, Lord. You're, the Holy Spirit, you are the one that can do that. And let these words excite us and encourage us that you are the Son of God and you're here to change our lives today just the way you changed their lives back then. Would you do it for us, Lord? Immediately, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.